This is episode number 14 with one of Australia's top entrepreneurs, Jack DeLosa. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Greatness. My name is Joseph DiBernardo and each week I'll be bringing you an inspiring person or message to help you unleash your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get after it. Mark Twain said, great people are those who make others feel that they too can become great. And Bob Marley said, the greatness of a man is not how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. Guys, in this week's episode with Jack DeLosa, we speak about his health hacks and habits and how he uses those to elevate and optimize his life and business. Jack takes us on a journey from his first business to now becoming one of the most successful entrepreneurs in Australia. How to discover your life purpose, we speak about joy and curiosity and the steps that Jack can inspire you to discover yours. What questions he would ask Elon Musk if afforded an opportunity to interview him and how to live a happy, purposeful, regret-free life. This is an awesome interview. Jack is someone who I've admired for so long. He's so passionate. He's so driven. He's very successful. This is such a great individual to learn from, guys. Get around Jack as much as possible and your life will change significantly. I am super excited to share this episode with you. Without further ado, let's jump in and learn the lessons of greatness from the great man himself, Jack DeLosa. Guys, welcome to this week's episode of Unleash Your Inner Greatness. And this is going to be such a powerful interview um, I have one of Australia's leading entrepreneurs, if not one of the world's leading entrepreneurs, uh, Mr. Jack DeLosa in the house. Now, for those of you who don't know Jack, Jack is a best-selling author, television host, investor, five times Australian Financial Review Young Lister, and the CEO and founder of Australia's largest education institution for entrepreneurs, The Entourage, which is built a community over 350,000 members and under Jack's leadership, it was voted the fourth best place to work in Australia by BRW Magazine, which is such a phenomenal achievement. Prior to the entourage, Jack co-founded MBE Education, which assisted small to medium business businesses in raising money for investment. And the company became quickly one of Australia's leading uh, businesses. Also making Jack a very high fr- profile investor in companies such as Q Biotics and E Merchant. Now, Jack is one of the most undoubtedly hardest workers, curious and passionate individuals that you'll ever meet in your life. And he's undoubtedly one of the most hungry individuals who wants to leave a legacy of greatness. And I'm so stoked and privileged to finally get him on the podcast. Jack, welcome to Unleashing the Greatness. Be here, man. Been too long. How is the UK treating you? Mate, it's, it's really good. It's, um, you know, I often laugh where, where I'm podcasting. It's such a small room. 
but right. you know, this is what it is. It is what it is. How, you how are you? How are you? More importantly, as, mate. Mate, I am incredibly well. Business is good. I'm here in Sydney. You're recording the video, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. That's Sydney today. It's a bit overcast, but beautiful city nonetheless. Man, I'm good. Business is good. Health is good. Life is good. Yeah, just. Having fun, man. So, you know, I, I sat in the audience at Unconvention many years back. And for those who don't know, Unconvention is the event that you put on to bring together entrepreneurs in Australia. And sitting in that audience, I, I just had this thought that you were such an inspiring guy. So I just want to acknowledge you just from myself to you to thank you so much for putting on that event just on, on, on my behalf. And thanks for so much for all the inspiration over the years. I just wanted to firstly put you for that, man. Great back at you, man. Appreciate Great that. Back. I want to jump in and ground you in a good place, Jack, and just ask you, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? And what was the highlight of last year for you? Oh, Jesus. Not mucking around. Okay, what am I most grateful for in my life right now? Uh, would it be a cop-out to say everything? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just in a state of, of huge gratitude right now. You know, we had some really, really challenging times in business in 2016 and 17, which we might get into today, uh, like excruciatingly difficult times. And so, um, you know, the last sort of 12 months, it's like, you know, when you're going through really distressed periods in business, your life gets put on hold. You know, you, you're not sleeping very well. And your, your diet's probably not great. You're probably not training. You're, you're probably not seeing as much of your family and your friends, you know, your life gets put on hold. And, uh, and so the last 12 months, it's been the opposite. You know, we're back in a really, really good place, growing incredibly well, um, you know, eating well, training, having a ball with my, my partner, Tiffany. Um, business is great. And so I'm just enjoying everything at the moment. You know, it's like when you've got a cold or, you know, you're a bit sick for a week or whatever, and then you get over the sickness. And like those next couple of days, you're like, this is awesome. I can live again. <laughs> it's like that, but it's been going on for 12 months. From an external point of view, you know, I, can, I can actually relate and see how much work you're putting into that. You know, mm. Whether it be the cold immersions in the morning or the, yeah. you know, you, you're encouraging people to get up with you and to work out. Yeah. So it doesn't come without hard work. Ah, oh, you know? yeah. I'm probably working harder now than I ever have in my life. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So yeah. with that, obviously, health you know, you've got to keep, keep the health. Now we, we did a retreat together. It was good to share that, that memory with you at the retreat. I, I normally jump in and talk about people's story and how they got to where they are. But I, what, one thing that is really interesting about you is you, you, you like the hacks, the life, the life hacks and the health hacks. Uh, we spoke about cold immersion. You got me into the cold showers, actually. So, mate, do you want to just expand a little bit about, you know, what what you've been doing lately to hack your own health and your own happiness? Yeah, wow. So let's start with the cold immersion. So nothing stimulates the body like a sudden and extreme change in temperature. And so you can achieve that obviously both ways. You can go to extreme colds and you can go to, you know, really warm environments like a sauna, like a really hot sauna, for example, about hundred degrees is a good temp. And there's just about nothing that we want our bodies to do that a cold immersion and heat immersion doesn't achieve, right? And so for me, I just stumbled across this. I started, I, I had a sauna in my building, you know, where I lived sort of two places ago. And so this is about, I don't know, two and a half years ago. And the, my mate that I lived with would often have saunas. And so I just started having saunas with him. 
And, uh, and I realized that whenever I had a sauna, either if it, was at, if it was at nighttime, then the next day I'd feel mentally clearer. And if it was in the morning, then that day I would feel mentally clearer. And I was like, this is super interesting. I just found this pattern. And then I Googled it and it was like, um, you know, health benefits of saunas are just marketing. It's all the placebo effect. It doesn't do anything for you. And I just kind of pushed it aside. I was like, hmm, that's interesting because... I could have sworn experientially that it was doing really good things for me. And then I had a chat with um, a professor of innovation at a really well-known Australian university who had been studying a field that I had never heard of called biohacking. And he'd been studying it for a number of years. And what he found is that from all of his research, hot immersion and cold immersion were in the top three things you could do to optimize your mind, your body, your health, your energy, your sleep, your uh, state of mind, your happiness. They're in the top three, right? Two out of the top three. And so I, I spoke to him about the science of it, and that got me really interested in it. And he said, so you've been doing a hot, that's valid. Now start doing the cold as well. And I said, but I checked this out on Google and it said, you know, it's just all marketing, it's all placebo. And his response to that was, it's because there's very, 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 very large companies and trillion dollar industries around the globe that make a lot of money from us not realizing that everything we want our body to do could be achieved through getting cold and getting hot. And so people just don't want us to know that. And so cold immersion, for example, it, it stimulates, it stimulates your lymphatic system, which is the system in your body, which kind of pushes all the gunk around, like all this, all the junk that your body excretes, let's say, lives in your lymphatic system. Now, unlike your cardiovascular system, your cardiovascular system has a pump, right? That's our heart. And so the heart pushes the blood around the body. Your lymphatic system has no pump. And so there's only two ways to pump your lymphatic system. One is exercise and one is cold immersion, right? And so it's incredibly good for immunity. Uh, cold immersion stimulates uh, serotonin, which is the chemical in our brain, uh, well, in our gut and our brain uh, that's associated with happiness. It produces sleep hormones. If you get have a cold shower for minimum three minutes, you need to do three minutes because um, getting in and out of a cold, you know, like an ice bath or a cold shower, it will give you a shock, but it will be skin deep. And so while it might be like having a shot of coffee it doesn't it doesn't go you're not in there long enough to get the core engine ticking right so it needs to be a minimum of three minutes uh, but let's say you have a three minute cold shower or, or a three to five minute ice bath it promotes sleep hormones if you like if, if you're listening to this podcast tonight you're gonna freaking hate me and love me if you do what i'm about to tell you get home tonight and have a three minute cold shower full cold no hot and do not turn the hot on to begin with and do not turn the hot on to finish with. Full cold, no hot, minimum three minutes. Now, if you're unused to it, it'll feel like torture. However, you will have the best night's sleep of your life after doing that. And you, then you'll be addicted. And so it's incredibly good for sleep hormones. It's good for skin. It's uh, it, it, the best thing, perhaps the, the, the most fundamental thing about cold immersion is it reduces inflammation. And so every disease that uh, human beings have is caused in some way, shape or form by inflammation. There's studies that have been done for the last four or five years that prove even depression is related to brain inflammation. And so depression, anxiety, you know, like um, just about any sickness you can think of is, is, is correlated to inflammation, inflammation of organs, inflammation of brain. And so cold immersion brings that right back down, right? And so it's incredibly good for your mental well-being and your physical well-being. It's, it's, it's good for your skin. I think I said that. I'm missing a few things. But like it, like it, it promotes white blood cells. 
and then you get into a hot immersion like a sauna and that promotes red blood cells and it relaxes you and everything that cold immersion doesn't do the sauna does do and so what i what i do you know probably five to seven times a week is um cold and hot immersion and so um i'm a little bit i used to go full hardcore which was like a round of five start and finish with cold so you go cold hot cold hot cold now you probably you could probably do that once a week i wouldn't recommend doing it too often but these days it's as simple as i get in the sauna for 20 minutes and then i jump in a, a nice cold plunge pool um for between three and seven minutes and if you can do that four to four to six times a week um gonna revolutionize your health and your mental well-being yeah I, and it's proven because you've had messages from people already i saw one on your instagram lately about a lady who messaged you and said you know, just listening to you and your podcast and your Instagram stories, like you're actually changing my life. So that three minutes, I, I do, I do think of you in that in that time frame. I'm like, oh, I'm like two two and a half minutes. I'm like, oh, the hot, the hot's got to come back on. Like it's a killer. I'm, I'm flattered to know that you're thinking of me in the shower, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, Jack. For the first time, the three minutes was an absolute killer. But, yeah, uh, it's torturous to begin with. I remember when I started it. Yeah. Uh, and I was doing it with, 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 you know, I had a couple of mates that were kind of doing it concurrently with me. And so that was good for the moral support. But yeah, I mean, until you start feeling the benefits and luckily you feel the benefits relatively immediately, but you're sort of sitting in this ice cold chair going, well, what am I doing to myself? Yeah. But it's yeah. so powerful. You know what? It, it, it's almost what it teaches you about life as well, because sometimes it's getting uncomfortable is where you grow, right? From a mindset point of view. So it's not just the, cold chow but it's also what it teaches you about life yes um, and that's a huge point so yeah. if you get up in the morning and this happens to me occasionally i'll get up in the morning and i might have something that's even just so slightly weighing on me you know there's a situation in business or or there's a personnel issue or even a, 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 a you know there's a relationship issue in your personal life but some something's on your mind and and, and it's weighing you down a little bit you get into a cold shower or an ice bath, you come out of it feeling 10 foot tall and bulletproof and, and you feel so much stronger and more equipped to deal with the challenge rather than the challenge weighing down on you. It's almost like you've elevated yourself about the above the challenge and now you're able to, to, to look at it with perspective and think about it more productively. Energy companies are going to hate us after this podcast. You realize that. <laughs> The medicine companies, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, Fuck but, them. Uh, uh, mate, so many profound things that we can talk about, health, etc. Um, I want to jump into your story, though. You have a, a, such a fascinating story, and it, I guess it, it started the, the journey of after your parents sort of went into business, etc. They taught you mm. a lot about life. Yeah. Would it be all right if you take us back to the start? Just give us yeah. an overview of, you know, your journey, how you got to where you are today. Totally. Yeah, so my parents ran a not-for-profit organization called Breaking the Cycle. And uh, I think it started when I was about six. Um, Breaking the Cycle would uh, take what's called long-term unemployed youth in, in government speak. What that means is youth that are at serious risk of dying or going back to jail. And they take these youth at risk and they put them through training and education programs, teaching them life skills and employability skills and personal development and psychology and all of this sort of stuff. And then they place help help facilitate and place them into employment. And and they could only take a finite number of young adults each year. And so they deliberately take the worst of the worst. You know, young adults are on and off drugs that were from abusive homes that were in and out of jail. And 
And even though they chose those from the most challenging of background and circumstances, they were Australia's most effective job placement agency for long-term unemployed youth. They were just so good at what they did. And so my mum was the head trainer and my dad was the managing director. And um, and so, you know, that was the world I grew up in from the age of six to about nine is, you know, I'd wag school and I'd be sitting in mum's class at Breaking the Cycle, learning about psychology and personal development, and human potential and all of this sort of stuff. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely fascinating fascinating to me you know even just thinking about it today and how formative it must have been for me back then but you know because you'd see these kids I say kids I was six seven eight they were 18 19 20 21 uh, but nonetheless you know kids um, coming in literally half dead you know and and looking half dead and then with the right environment and the right people and the right TLC and the right message they would become more of themselves and you know within a few months they'd be this shining human being full of passion and and they walked in this shy, introverted, half-dead person. And a year later, they're speaking at a Breaking the Cycle fundraiser to 200 people about the effectiveness of the program and their employment, their life and their new partner. And, and it's like, wow, that's powerful, you know, that's really fucking powerful. And so that's what I wanted to dedicate my life to was helping human beings tap into their dormant potential that lies inside of all of us. Um, and, and breaking the cycle was a proof point for me that it could be done. It's obviously been a journey and there's that famous Instagram post where it shows, you know, the journey of an entrepreneur. Mate, during, during the time, you know, I, I understand you went through some difficult times. What what was the most difficult time for you and what was your approach to overcome the challenge? Yeah, the two most difficult times in my life have been uh, when I was 18, uh, my brother Tom, who was 21 at the time, died as a result of drug use. He didn't, he didn't overdose, he asphyxiated. Um, so that, that was pretty hard. Um, and then... And then the second hardest period of my life was when I was about 28, I believe, 2016, when we, we essentially were, were offering government qualifications and government funding in, in the traditional education system here in Australia. And, they, and they, they, they pulled the funding from the industry and changed the entire industry, which for us meant we were three months away from a monthly loss of about $800,000. So we needed to go from a team of 90 down to a team of 40. Uh, and essentially we had, you know, because we'd gone so heavy into accredited government funded education we had no business model anymore we had no products that would last beyond the next two months uh 40 staff i was in a lot of fucking debt because the government had been making so many changes along the way that we needed to raise quite a bit of money just to get us through the immediate changes before the big one came and so it was like the worst possible storm and you know i i also own my mum's house right and so uh because i bought her house i don't know six years ago or something so that she wouldn't have to pay rent or pay a mortgage to sort of you know to help her retire and so i owned my mum's house which was obviously cross collateralized against the bank debt that i was covering so if everything had have gone down then mum would have been homeless i wouldn't have been in the position to be able to help her um yeah man it's like and 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 business for me if, if Andros for me was a commercial venture it, it would have been a simple sweet let's wind it up let's go again yeah. no, no no worries um but because it's so much more than that and there's so many people that are touched by the entourage and, and uplifted by by the work that we do uh and, and not just members and community but our people and our staff um it, it was that was an incredibly difficult time uh, and that lasted for about 18 months and so 
And so they were probably uh, the two hardest. Man, how, do you, how did I move through them? Honestly, it's not the most inspiring of answers. It's just the truth, which is um, what I find when you step into a circumstance like that is once it's happened, you don't have a choice as to whether it's happened or not. And so sitting around and going, fuck, I wish this didn't happen, serves no utility whatsoever. And so both in the case of Tom and in the case of 2016, uh, the, the mindset that got me through was one day at a time just get out of bed in the case of 2016 go into the office and keep walking you know one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the other just keep going and you you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel you don't need to see the light at the end of the tunnel right now but just keep going um and while that's kind of uninspiring in hindsight, I mean, when you're in it, like let's say there's someone listening to this podcast right now that's either had a loved one die or they're going through a distress period in business and I sit here and I go, oh, adversity happens for a reason and it's here to teach you awesome things. It's like, it's like that's cool in hindsight and figure that shit out in hindsight. But when you're in it, it's like fuck off with your positive shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head above water, right? And I don't, yeah. I don't do that sort of stuff as positive shit. That's probably the wrong way to put it. But, but it's just, that doesn't help when you're in it, right? when you're in it it's like just keep going just keep moving um and then and then underlying that is i i I do view adversity as one of the healthiest things for us i think the most people's biggest problem is that they believe they shouldn't have any and so when you realize that life isn't and isn't designed to be nor should it be all good all the time and you're here to be happy 24 7 that's not what life is that's a fantasy and it might be a conditioned fantasy by movies and advertising and everything else but it's a fantasy and it's an untrue one and when you go okay that's not what life's supposed to be life's supposed to be this whole array of breadth and depth of experiences what most people would call good and bad i view it all as good um and and it's all encompassing and to live a whole life and to live a meaningful life you need to embrace all of it and so it's like one step at a time but realize fundamentally it probably is here for a reason and one day you will find that reason you will find that lesson and that will help you resolve some of it you know we're, uh, we're speaking about purpose because you said that that you know that helped get you through and you're a big um proponent of it you talk about it a lot you state that it helps you move beyond difficult times and, and gives you you know pull motivation to- aristotle that said with purpose we can call on courage with purpose, we can call on courage. I love that one, mate. Um, if, if there is a listener, right, Jack, on the because finding purpose is different for everyone. But mate, you've had so much experience speaking to you know high-end entrepreneurs, world leaders. If there's some some message that you had or tip that you could impart to the listeners to perhaps help them find their own path, what? What would you say about life purpose? What's your, what's your spin on it? And how would you help someone if they come to you in a consultation or you know, a coaching session? How would you help them with that? Well, the best thing about developing and discovering your purpose for your life is also the most challenging component. And that is that it's so unique, it's as unique as your fingerprint. And so if you're trying to determine your purpose by looking at like the career guides textbook, and it's like, do I want to be a nurse or an accountant or a lawyer? You know, for 90% of us, we're going to look at those paths and go, ah, oh, fuck, I don't fit into any of them. They, 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 I find them all severely unattractive. And so it's like, oh, okay, I don't have a purpose. You know, I'll, I'll go and travel forever or I'll do a trade or I'll, I'll, or I'll, I'll, I'll 
climb the corporate ladder because that seems to be where I might make the most money. And so, it's a, you know, we kind of subordinate ourselves to um, the misconception that because our purpose doesn't fit into a traditional path, then we must be destined, destined to live an empty and meaningless life. And it's just not true. And so the best way to, 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 let's call it, do you discover your purpose or do you develop your purpose? I think it's probably a combination of both. But the best way to do it is to get in touch with yourself, right? And again, we live in a culture where we're conditioned to take most of our information from the outside. Like what career should I do, careers counsellor? And, and then we listen to our teachers and we listen to our parents and we listen to our university lecturers and we listen to our boss and we listen to the media article and we and we read the book about how to climb the ladder or how to build a business and we're listening to all of these noises and all of these messages coming from an infinite number of sources and and we're almost conditioned to seek out seek answers from the outside and it's the wrong way to guide and steer your life to guide and steer your life the best way to do it is to block out all of that noise and go inside. Now, what, what does that mean? It mean? It's as simple as this. Notice what brings you joy and follow that. And that's fucking hard. Like that might sound, oh, follow your joy. That's how, you know, love, trust and pixie dust. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. It's like, no, 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 no. Think about the principle for a moment and then actually live in alignment with it and you'll determine quickly just how much courage that takes. So follow your joy. The second thing is notice what makes you curious and then follow that. Because if you, if you imagine joy is something of the heart, curiosity is something of the mind, and then you follow that, you know, and, and have the courage to follow that and have the will and the perseverance to stick with that when, not if, things get hard. Um, and, and so by, by using your, your joy and your curiosity and your intuition and your, your inner state as your compass, you will live an incredibly meaningful life. You will lead an incredibly difficult and challenging life, right? One of my friends asked me on stage about a year ago, he's like, Jack, you often talk about, you know, how when you find your purpose, everything gets easier. Talk to us about that. I'm like, what? I've never said nor thought that you find your purpose and things get easier. I mean, if you want an easy life, don't try and discover your purpose. It was Michelangelo that said, passion is about determining what we want, what we're willing to be tortured for, right? Purpose isn't love, trust and pixie dust and I found my purpose now and so I'm happy and, and bubbly every day and it's all beers and skittles. Purpose is, oh man, I'm now, I now have a path and I now have a vision and I need to develop the discipline to act in alignment with that every day and I need to develop the strength of character to not quit when I want to every couple of months and uh, I need to develop the courage to speak of my vision and I need to develop the cadences and the habits that are going to enable me to move towards my vision but I can't go too fast and too hard because I'll burn out so I need to learn self-management and oh shit, if I'm going to do this properly, I actually really need to learn about health and nutrition. It's like, man, finding your purpose and living in alignment with purpose, you know, it's peddled by so many new age fucking sages that talk about it as if it is love, trust and pixie dust. That's not it, man. Purpose is find the vision that you hold for your life and then uh, develop the courage and the strength to shoulder that burden for the rest of your life. And in doing so, you will find meaning. That's awesome, mate. So powerful. So follow your joy, follow your curiosity, and eventually you sort of develop a path. And is, is that right? You know, have a, have a, have a sort of summarize that right? In, yeah. Yeah. And the path will unfold and, and you're in a 
the compass will change. You know, what my inner, this is the other thing. It's not like, oh, I found my purpose, guys. I'm set for the next 40 years. It's like, no, no, no. What made me happy three years ago is different to what makes me happy today. Do I have the courage to change? Yeah. You know, so, and so for some people, uh, you know, it'll be a pretty consistent path. And for others, it will change and evolve and, and everybody's different. But that's the best way to live in alignment with your soul's intention for why you're here. And that's when the work starts. Mate, I want to honor your work. Exactly. You've obviously written two books, um, Unprofessional and yep. uh, Unwritten. Yep. Uh, now, that's, you know, I'm sure you're really proud of both. What, what are you most proud of? What message are you most proud of in each of those books that you've put to out to the world what, what did writing those books teach you about yourself oh good question okay so the first question what am i most proud of i'm probably most proud of unwritten because because unprofessional is uh, business strategies and business tactics to help somebody start and scale a business and so writing that for me was relatively easy i wrote it in four days um unwritten was a little bit more challenging the best way to describe it is i felt like i was reaching out to my future self four years in advance which is me today relative because i wrote it 2015 it's now 2009 and trying to pull wisdom I didn't have yet from the future me and back into the present and capture it into a book. And so what that meant was it was so incredibly challenging. Like I literally sat on an empty page for probably three months before I was even able to start writing anything that made any sort of cohesive sense. And so, and so while Unprofessional was super easy for me, Unwritten was the absolute other end of the scale. Um, and so that's what I'm most proud of. What did they teach me about myself? Unwritten taught me that that you can reach beyond your existing levels of wisdom and knowledge um, if you wrestle hard enough with it. Like I read Unwritten today and I understand it more than I did when I wrote it. Wow. I like that story as well when you went to the Vatican. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes, I love this story. So, <laughs> so the Vatican, yeah. So the, the, I, was in, I was in Rome and I went to the Sistine Chapel and I remember looking up at the roof of the Sistine Chapel, which was painted by Michelangelo in the early 1500s. And um, I, had a, I had a tour guide that was touring my friend and I who were both there. And he was telling, he was walking us through the, 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 the painting on the, on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. Firstly, it took Michelangelo, my history might be a bit rusty on this because it's been a few years, but I think it took him four years and the roof is high. And so he built the scaffolding himself. And then when you, and he wasn't a painter, Michelangelo was a sculptor, right? He'd never painted any professional works pre the roof of the Sistine Chapel. And the Pope sent him a letter and said, I want you to come paint the roof of the Sistine Chapel, please. He said, no. Nah. He said, he sent him another letter, said, no, 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 mate. I want you to come. I mean, he probably didn't say mate, but I want you to come paint the roof of the Sistine Chapel. He said, no. Nah. And he sent him another letter and he said, uh, Michelangelo, you are going to come and paint the roof of the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> so he, he, he sort of paused the project he was working on and reluctantly accepted the job because Michelangelo was anti-religion. He, did, he didn't believe that you needed to go through an institution in order to find God. And so he, he often protested against the Catholic Church and the Sistine Chapel is obviously a very important building for the Catholic Church. It's where they select the next Pope, for example. And so, and so he reluctantly accepted the job. And so, and so he builds this scaffolding. And when you paint into wet plaster, the paint stays for longer than 
than if you were just painting onto dry plaster. And so Michelangelo would literally lay, you know, he'd be, he'd be sort of standing with his head completely upright, which gave him a few sort of physical ailments over the four years. And then he'd lay the plaster and while it was wet, he would paint into wet plaster, which is freaking hard to do. And because the wet plaster would drip down onto his face, it made him blind in one eye as a result of doing it. So like in terms of like commitment to craft, there's like, he's just second to none. And then there's the, the middle tile, it's called um, the creation of Adam. And um, Adam's kind of lying there and he's, and he's got an arm reaching out and then God is, is sort of um, surrounded by angels and God's reaching out and they're almost touching, which is said to symbolize the fact that uh, we want to reach God. However, we probably never will fully while we still rest in human form. But the most interesting thing about that particular tile is that God is painted with like this sheet behind him and angels around him. And it's almost as uh, if you blur your eyes a little bit, it looks like the human brain. And to paint God in the form of uh, a human human brain or in amongst human anatomy back then was a crime uh, to do so. And, and so uh, Michelangelo was essentially committing a crime. Now, now, how did he get away with that? Back then, autopsies and the understanding of human anatomy isn't what it is today. So people didn't know what a human brain looked like. Michelangelo did because him, like Leonardo da Vinci, would uh, dig up graves and uh, effectively perform autopsies on people to under better understand human biology so that they could better capture and paint and sculpt human beauty. And so they understood human anatomy better than anybody else. And so he knew what a brain looked like, but he knew that the people he was painting the roof or didn't probably didn't know what a brain looked like and so and so he thought he'd get away with it but had it have been seen for what it was which was god painted in the form and inside a human brain he would have been executed and so it's like why did he risk his life to paint god into the form of a human brain and 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 that's speculative right and, and no one really knows. But, but the, a couple of possibilities are that he believed that we cre we created God in our image and that God uh, rests inside of us. Uh, and as I said, we don't require to go through an institution or through a religion or through a church in order to find God. And so, and then the other thing I loved about it was he would have known that in the decades and centuries to come, people would have better understood human anatomy. And so down the track, it would have been seen for what it is. Uh, it's just that in his day, it wouldn't have been seen for what it is. And so he risked his life to communicate his truth. Like all great artists, he couldn't perform works that were separated from his inner truth. And he was willing to risk his life for that. And so looking up at the roof, learning all this, I was like, man, that's that's the same as, that's the same sort of story and, and DNA as Steve Jobs. That's the same sort of story and DNA of Richard Branson. That's the same sort of story and DNA of just about anybody that I know that goes out and, and follows an independent path and puts their life on the line to do great things. And I'm like, isn't it fascinating? Fascinating that a fucking sculptor turned painter from 500 years ago shows the same characteristics as the people that would, we would deem to be great today in business. So not only are we traversing time, but we're traversing industry, we're traversing era, we're traversing profession, uh, and the characteristics are the same. And so I was like, okay, there's really something to that. And that's what got me super interested in studying history. And so I started to study Einstein and Mandela and Oprah and, and all sorts of great figures throughout history and determined that they, they are all sort of, they all approach life with the same principle. And so unwritten was a, my, my best attempt at consolidating and capturing those principles. I'll put it in the show notes both because they're so powerful. 
helpful. I absolutely love that story. Was Elon Musk in the book? Elon, yes. Elon Sorry, Musk. Elon Musk. Now, yeah. I know you're a fan of um, Elon. Now, if you if you sat with Elon and was able to, I know you, you want to bring him into Australia. If you had to sit with Elon today, what would you, um, what's one thing that you would want to ask him? And what's one thing that you'd want him to ask you? Such a good question. What's one thing that I would ask Elon Musk? I would try, I would ask him to articulate as best and as honestly he can how he developed his level of intelligence. Because he's often asked that, but he's asked that in front of cameras and in front of media. And so he kind of has to be humble, you know, but often when you get people behind closed doors and it's just a, a small group or it's just you and them, they're, they're able to give an answer, however politically incorrect that answer might be. And so it's an, it's an answer I don't think he could be honest about in front of camera or media, but if you got him one-on-one, perhaps he'd be able to shed a bit more light on it. Uh, one question I wish he would ask me, uh, why do you do what you do? Okay. Is that, is that something that you don't get asked enough that you wish you want? you wish you had it no I get, I get asked that a lot it's just good if elon asked me that question then i know that i would be friends with him three minutes later because <laughs> you could because you got commonality right you can relate yeah yeah it's yeah that's awesome mate i want to i want to step in and um legacy is something that i feel is so important all the videos that i watch of you resonate with legacy and the notion of leaving one. I wanted to ask, like, how do you wish to be remembered as a person? What's your ultimate legacy, Jack? I, I, I believe it is to help elevate human consciousness. And so if you look at any problem in the world today, be it climate change or um, economics or politics and just how ineffectual politicians are these days, uh-huh. or terrorism, which is a far smaller problem than what most people think it is, by the way. Like, more people, significantly more people die from mosquitoes than terrorism. Like, like, I read something crazy the other day. More people die from shark attacks than terrorism. And so ter- it's, it's not as big of a deal as the media makes it out to be. Now, that's not to discount uh, the, the trauma that it causes, particularly to anybody that's been affected affected or had loved ones affected by it. I mean, that would be the definition of hell, but it's just not as far reaching or it's not at the scale that the media would have us believe. Um, But if you look at any of these problems, you know, at the center of them is consciousness, human consciousness. And we've had such a radical and accelerated development of technological advancement, but human consciousness is lagging behind that. And so uh, I think uh, our greatest challenge and our greatest uh, objective as a species needs to be to elevate our individual and collective consciousness so that we can approach old problems and new problems with new ways of thinking and evolved ways of being that involve compassion, a little bit less competition, a little bit less vanity, and a little bit more conscious awareness of the fact that uh, we are one race and that we have one planet right now as it stands and that we're in it together. Is, is there anything that ultimately scares you about technology and the development of where we're going with that? Is there anything that you feel may work against us as a, as a as a culture or as a, you know, as, as a race in, in the entrepreneurial land? Is there anything that? Yeah, I think it's probably just an extrapolation of, of the force I was just talking about. I mean, AI is really 
um, is, is really concerning in terms of the level of intelligence and bandwidth and data it's able to compute. And, and when it's self-learning and self-evolving and self-growing and, and becomes uncontrollable, uh, then it represents a huge risk, right? All you would need to, because AI can do everything except understand the difference between right and wrong. And so all you would need to do is program an AI to make money. And all it would need to do is go short on consumer goods, go long on meaning invest in military and weaponry companies, start a war, and it will have achieved its objectives. Happy days, it's achieved its mission uh, with no consideration of right or wrong. So, so that's concerning and governments just aren't anywhere near fast enough to be able to regulate that as quickly as, as which it's going to be developing. You know, governments are useless at, the, at regulating anything that's already happening, let alone as the, as the growth curve continues to accelerate. Um, so that's going to be, that's a concern. And then I suppose my more, I mean, that's probably a medium or long-term concern, a more short to medium-term concern would be just how quickly, particularly AI, but, but uh, machine learning and, and technological advancement uh, starts to change the world around us to the so quickly and to the degree that the vast majority of humans feel like they're not participating in the advancement of humanity but are rather a spectator to it. I mean, in the industrial revolution, it was like, cool, we know what we're doing, we can become a worker or you can start a factory and I can participate in it. Or with the internet, you know, to a degree, everyone participates in it. We're all on Facebook, we're all on Instagram, you know, and so, and so we, we're, we're participants in how things are forming, which is incredibly important and perhaps underappreciated in just how important that is in human psychology, that I can participate in what's going on in the world. When, technologic, when, when technology gets so far ahead of what we're able to, what, you know, anyone that's not sort of at the vanguard of it can understand and participate in, there'll be a feeling of like a, a collective at scale feeling of melancholy and uselessness. And well, I'm a spectator. And so and I'm not participating in it. And, I, and, and it's so intimidating, you know, computer science and engineering and all this. It's so intimidating. I just don't think I'll ever be able to, I'm not talking on my behalf, I'm talking hypothetically for, for what many might believe. It's so intimidating that I, I may never be able to get a grasp on it. And so therefore, what meaning does my life have? And for what purpose am I here? if I can't even participate in the world around me. And for me, that's the more concerning danger of it all is, uh, when it, you know, like unemployment gives people a sense of meaningless, meaninglessness. And so take that, times it by 10, and then rather than it being true for 8% of the population, have it be true for 90% of the population. And that's a fundamental difference to human psychology and human well-being. And I think that's a real issue that we need to have a think about, discuss and start developing strategies to defend against. So, mate, we've got a finite amount of time and I would absolutely love to maybe expand on that in a future episode, um, as well as a million other questions that I'd love to shoot your way. But, um, you know, flowing on from that point about the emotive side of the human psychology leads to three rapid fire questions I've got for you, mate. Are you ready for them? 100%. So the first one is, what's one thing that people can do to live a happier life, Jack? When the voice inside of you becomes louder than the voices outside of you, you've begun to master your life. Thanks, mate. I love that. I've got to listen to that so many times. 
Uh, <laughs> I absolutely love that. That's that's the best takeaway I think for me from the from the interview. Um, the second one is what's one thing people can do to live a more purposeful life? Develop the courage to live in alignment with your inner voice. And what's one thing that people can do to live a regret-free life? A and B. Jack, if today was your last day and I gave you a piece of paper and a pen and you had one thing that you could write on this piece of paper to inspire future generations to believe in their inner greatness, what would you write on the piece of paper? That's my final question. I would say you're going to be surrounded by figures and institutions that may seem to be authoritative. The authority they hold is not real. It's an illusion. And you ultimately have ultimate authority over yourself and your life. And so don't buy into other people's rules. Don't buy into other people's expectations or societal conditioning. Uh, Fuck all that. Uh, Get in touch with yourself and unapologetically and courageously live a life in alignment with that and realize that it's going to be incredibly freaking difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a bed of roses. Uh, But ideally, as you move through that, you'll build a life that we call meaningful. Thanks, mate. And with the added cold shower, everyone's got a hope. (laughs) P.S. Have four cold showers a week. (laughs) Yeah. Mate, I'm, um, I, I wanted to honestly acknowledge you again. You know, I, I'm so grateful. When I sat in the audience when you started the Unconvention series, you know, I sat there in awe and I was like, I, I literally have to sort of be under this guy's wings for many years to learn from you, to be inspired by you. Um, I just want to thank you so much because you literally put out so much content for free. At every event I've been to of yours, you've never pressured me to, to get into any of the programs. You literally have written books. You've done talks for free. It is immense. And I am so grateful just from my part. Thank you so much for everything you do to overcome your own self-doubt, your own fears, your own insecurities, your own inner dialogue to help people to elevate themselves to their own greatness. So I'm so, mate, I'm so honored to have had you on the show. You're a great friend. I learned so much from you. I'll continue to do that. And uh, I just wanted to ask before we leave the guests, mate, do you have any last parting things that you want to say as part of the, the episode? Yeah. Listen to it again. And, um, when you are listening to it again, pause it at each stage and journal on, what you've heard and whether it resonates with you and how it resonates with you and what it means for you and how you can actualize some of the things we've discussed. There's so much information out there. There's, you know, there's a lot of really good podcasts and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, Don't just skim through one after the other, uh, using them as entertainment, particularly this conversation. We discussed some really deep fundamental things, pause on it, think about it, journal on it, and integrate it into yourself. Uh, And then, you know, you could listen to one podcast a year and you get more value out of it than if you listen to a hundred of them and just skim through them for entertainment. And just on my part, um, guys, make sure you grab Jack's books, Unprofessional and Unwritten. We'll link them in the show notes. Um, That's the best way that we can honor his work. And also, Jack, the entourage, what's the level of education that, can you just tell us a little bit, just 
briefly just a quick summation of you know what that what that's all about how people can get in your world there yeah so the entrepreneurs were one of the the world's uh largest training institution for entrepreneurs and business owners so uh whether you're a seven-figure business owner going to eight six figures going to seven or you're just starting out uh we have the best entrepreneurs in the world to help guide you and enable you along each stage of the journey um so it's just the T-H-E-Entourage.com uh, or check me out on Instagram just at Jack DeLosa, D-E-L-O-S-A. Uh, thanks again, Jack. I'm so grateful for you, mate. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Guys, there you have it. Jack DeLosa in the house. He's such an awesome guy, such a successful, inspiring entrepreneur, and he's very authentic. What you see is what you get with Jack. He's straight down the line. Um, and he's got a huge passion to help people elevate their life and business. The main thing that I took away from that episode with Jack is to add value to other people's lives and to add it in immense quantities. So I really hope that you take away that same message. Um, If you love this episode, jump on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Jack and I would absolutely love that because it helps uh, us collectively with yourself to go out there and inspire other people to believe in their inner greatness and self-worth, which is the purpose of our show. Um, Share this episode with your friends on social media. Please buy Jack's books, Unprofessional and Unwritten, from the show notes. You will absolutely love reading about those two books and those two stories um, within the books. They're very inspiring. They're very life-changing. I'd highly recommend both of them. So make sure you take action on those. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope you've had an amazing week. Uh, we are ready to interview some other inspiring people. If you know someone else who you want on the show, who you're eagerly um, hearing for me to interview, please let me know and I'll do my best to get them on. Guys, love you very much. Um, Keep smiling. Keep hustling for your dreams. It's time to go out there and unleash your inner greatness.